0: Hunting is part of us, all of us. And it doesn't matter if you're me, Craig Cottle, you spent your entire life hunting. Or if you're the president of PETA, hunting is part of who you are and it has been from the beginning. It's in your DNA.
1: If you are an experienced hunter, this is a great opportunity to be a
0: mentor. And if you're new to hunting, whether you're young or old, find a mentor. And the reason we can is because people went into that area and dropped trash and spray painted rocks and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that we as a community of people, whether we're hunters or backpackers or whatever, we need to call those people out. Hey guys, welcome to The Survival Show
1: podcast with Craig, me, David, and producer Ben. Dude, where did you get these who? notes from? <laughs> where did you get these notes from? Where's produce- who is producer Ben
0: anyway? <laughs> ben who? This is the template that we've been using for months now, and I keep thinking that ben is going to come back so i never erase ben i just can't i just can't make ben go away in the notes even so thank you ben for
1: all your editing yeah he's behind the scenes and he's actually uh stapling header cards on tiny survival guides for amazon today so i really appreciate Ben. he's working out of the office here all right guys so it's our job today to take you step by step through the mindset skills tactics and gear you need to survive almost any crisis emergency or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, Craig, it's no producer Ben, so how are you doing today? Are you still working out? We got to get back to that. We haven't talked about that for a while.
0: Oh, dude, here's here's a cool thing that's going on at the gym lately is there was another gym in town that shut down. And so there's been an influx of cool new people because usually I'm lifting by myself. Oh. And so, and that's okay. I like struggling with... The need to motivate myself but now I've got all these big muscle head dudes in there and so you know when you got nice. when you're when you're running around with lions you become a lion right mm-hmm. so now I'm it's good it's good getting the hang I mean these guys are a lot stronger and better at what they're doing than I am which has been motivating for me and someone brought new equipment in and they're teaching me how to use and so I love learning new things and having a good time yeah work, work are good real good it's
1: really cool So I've been doing this weird thing. I I guess maybe it's a body hack. I don't know. But I know Tim Ferriss talks about stuff like this a lot. And part of it was inspired by uh, something I read and listened to on his podcast. And that is uh, starting your day with doing 10 reps, right? So I've been Mm -hmm. doing this thing every morning for like the last month and a half, two months. I've been doing push-ups. So I started... Just do, I was out of shape, dude. I was, I started at like 24. I'm up to like 44 now.
0: <laughs> 44. Nice. So I do, That's I do good. one,
1: I do one set and sometimes it's hard, but it only takes like, it takes like two minutes. So I, I'm up to 44 and I just, I do that one set to complete failure. And then I do some uh, hmm. like dips, you know, I just go on a table and I do some dips and that kind of stretches out my pec muscles and, and, uh, you know, evens out the top. And then I'm done. Then I'm done. I can do whatever I want at that point for my day. I can go for a bike ride or I can get to work down here. But, yeah, man, that that actually kind of blew me away how just that simple consistency. I'm going to add pull-ups here, too, because right now I think I can do about five. So i got some pull-up bars in the basement, so I'm going to add that next week.
0: All right, you want to take us on from here? Yeah, guys and gals. Our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you are right now at the beginning. And coming up, what we're going to be talking about is hunting and some of the deeper reasons why it's a perfect choice for daily life and for survival for certain with our special guest, me, Craig Cottle. I'm a special guest today. David's going to interview me because we, again, had a little scheduling issue. And who better to bring in as a last minute guest than one of your coach. But yeah, I do have a lot of experience hunting and I love talking about and trying to encourage others to hunt. We're going to be talking about the reasons that I think hunting is good. We're going to talk about different types of game and how to go about choosing what you want to hunt, uh, types of gear that's required. We'll talk about very specifically on how you can get started so that you're well within the law and. Legal and ethical reasonings as well, and then I'll leave you with some social media and podcasting opportunities for you to follow, so that you can study and listen on your own time when you have time on different opportunities for hunting. So it's all about that's great. I'm I'm excited. But before we get into all this,
1: guys, I want to personally. Thank all of you who listen and share this podcast every week. We have grown. Producer Ben told me this. We've grown about 50% in the last three months. So please keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next, many of you guys have asked how you can support this podcast. So thank you for asking. The truth of the matter is that even though we have sponsors and we have a growing audience, we do need your financial partnership. And I, Craig, I honestly feel uncomfortable even asking for this sort of thing. But we do need some help, guys, to continue this podcast. And here's what you don't know. Craig, producer Ben, and I have well over 1,000 hours into this show. I think, Craig, we're almost up to 100 episodes. So that's about 10 hours per episode with prep time, producer Ben doing the cuts and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I personally have thousands, actually over $10,000 invested in the podcast startup. So if this show has helped you guys in any way, Here's three opportunities to partner with us to keep this podcast coming your way. Okay, number one, go over to Amazon and buy some tiny survival guides. Everyone wins, and they make a fantastic gift. Two, go over to thesurvivalshow.com. There, we've made it easy to support this podcast with links to this tiny survival guide, a way to give through PayPal if you prefer that, and you can support the show on a monthly basis through Patreon. And lastly, please support our sponsors like the Sportsman's Guide, who faithfully helps us out and believes in this podcast.
0: Absolutely, guys. It's it's just vital to being able to do this, to do it in such a way that you guys demonstrate that you should support us, So we thank you very much for that, obviously, for what you've done so far. Just listen in on David's suggestions here, because they're simple. And again, we always recommend the free ways that you can help us by sharing and supporting giving us a five-star review and giving us good comments and all the good things that make this podcast continue to grow and get better. It has grown quite a bit for good reason. It's a good podcast, but we can't do it forever uh, without uh, good support. And we thank you all for that. We ask for your continued support and greatly appreciate it.
1: Okay, Craig, you ready to get into this topic of hunting? I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's
0: do this. Dave and I were discussing the hunting topics since we're on this using the tiny survival guide as our outline, which we've talked a couple times in previous podcasts, but we wanted to focus some attention on it today. For those that are following along, pull out your tiny survival guide, look in hunting and trapping, which are in sections K and L in the guide. If you don't have a guide, then fix yourself with suggestion number one above from David. Go over to Amazon, pick those up. And that way we can get into what it is that we need to today, which is hunting, and we'll talk about it in depth as well as you can have a reference tool when you get done with our podcast today with your tiny survival guide.
1: So as we get into this, Craig and I are just going to share, I'm going to share a brief history of, of my experience with hunting and then Craig's going to expand on his and we're going to kind of bounce off of that. So my history with hunting was I was born just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was not born into a hunting family. My dad was a great guy. I was in Boy Scouts. He was a Boy Scout leader. And there's some funny stories there because I think he was learning how to be in the outdoors right along with me. But I did have Uncle Dave and my Uncle Dave. haha, Love that name. He lived uh, outside of the city and had I think he had, Craig, about 40 acres of land. And there was there were developments around this land uh, back in, the, I mean, this is, you know, this is quite some time ago, several decades ago. But he had about 40, I'm going to say 45 acres of, of woodland that he had purchased and he built a nice house there. So there was all kinds of uh, big game and small game hunting opportunities that were safe, even with some developments around. And I learned some basic skills there from him. Uh, as far as hunting goes, I do hunt small game and big game. And I i guess what I love is I, I just love to develop certain skills. It, it goes right along with what we're doing here on the Survival Show podcast. And for me, I know this is much higher for you, about the third tier reason and my motivation for hunting is to provide food and that connection uh, to the land And providing food for my family. But I know for you, Craig, it's more of a legacy and a lifestyle. Do you have, you want to share a little bit about your background there?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. uh, Hunting is just part of me. It has always been part of me. I've always been engaged in it from when I was a small kid. And dad, my dad in particular, came from a hunting family. But although I don't think that his father was a big hunter as much as he was a fisherman. Hmm but my dad and his brothers got heavily engaged in hunting back when deer hunting in Kentucky was nearly an impossibility because there were hardly any deer at all here, but really? squirrel hunting, rabbit hunt, rabbit hunting for sure. Yeah. Back when my dad is, is 70, 74, 75 years old, when he was a young man, when he was twenties, they would kill uh, rabbits by the fill up a trunk of a car they would kill so many. Oh, wow, wow! And now due to a lot of different ecological disasters as well as encroachment by humans, a lot of those have gone away. At the same time, uh, deer were so infrequently seen that people didn't know if they actually existed. My dad hunted for 20 hmm. years and he was a good hunter, but he hunted for 20 years without seeing his first deer. And wow. when they, op- oh. he was a, he was just a boy when they killed, when they opened deer season here in Kentucky and it was huge. It was a big thing. And now here in Kentucky, you know, we, we take over, we usually take 120,000 deer a year here in Kentucky alone. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, but, but kind of got off on tangent there, but that gets into what I want to talk about a little bit later, which is conservation and stewardship and the role that mm-hmm. that plays as a hunter, but. But yeah, I grew up hunting. Uh, There was a period in my life uh, up until I was probably around the age of 25 that I was a, I could have been a contract killer for wildlife. Meaning that my whole life revolved around killing critters as often and as many as I possibly could. And it was not a very stewardship minded methodology. I stayed within the law. I'm not saying I, I went outside the law. I stayed well within the law. That's important to me. But it was all about killing as if they were trophies. And somewhere around age 25, that really drastically changed for me. And so that's where I am now. And I continue to grow and evolve myself and and what it is that I do as a hunter. So, yeah, yeah, I've been doing it all my life and I will do it until the day I die. Hmm.
1: Do you have any trophies in your house, Craig?
0: No, not a single one. Can
1: I dig into that a little bit? Sure. I just think this is a really fascinating topic for you because I knew that about you share a little bit about why
0: and and what, what's behind that. Man, that's a, that's a really good question with a big answer and not necessarily a long one, but I have never, uh, since I started looking at hunting as a part of a stewardship endeavor, um, realized how important it is number one that hunters and biologists working together within the confines of the law help grow and expand wildlife in any setting any ecological setting so that is paramount of importance and there's so many people that surround us that hunt for the trophy to mount that deer and 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 for everybody listen don't get me wrong I don't have any problem with anybody that wants to do that. If that's your style, that's your style. It's just not mine personally. I really don't, I'm not saying anything negative about people like that. It's just me. Uh, I I just don't feel comfortable having dead animals or basically their replicas as trophies. And I'm the same way with the trophies I've won doing martial arts and playing sports. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of trophies. It's, you know, for one thing, it's, it's part of my faith My faith requires that I cannot be boastful about the things that I do, which finds it finds myself having a really difficult time being a marketer of myself. Mm. (laughs) That's very difficult when selling books and selling classes and selling podcasts. Even, uh, I'm not, I'm not a person that's supposed to boast and talk about my, what it is that I do and who I am. And so I find difficulty with that. So I don't like trophies for that reason. And secondly, I just, don't think that animals, wild animals in particular have the same type of cognitive thought processes as we do, but I do respect them. And I don't think that an animal deserves to be killed and then hung on the wall. Native peoples looked at wildlife as just being their brothers and their sisters. And, you know, at some point in my life, I started getting more that way. Although I don't know that I'm quite the way that Native Americans would have looked at it, but, uh, but I definitely am more that way. And I, there it would be just like hanging a family member on the wall. I just don't, I don't get the value out of that. I don't, I don't see anything for me personally to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Does
0: that answer your question?
1: <laughs> it does. And it brings up something else I know about you and some of your classes, the advanced survival class, we processed mammals. And uh, the way that you present that I've never, ever trained under anybody that has such a respect for wildlife and carries that out in, in training and in, and how
0: the whole approach happens. It's a rather personal thing, but I love the fact that you've asked me and give me an opportunity to answer the question. If anybody's seen the movie last Mohicans and you see the, the scene at the beginning where they kill the animal and then they say some great things about its speed and its strength. That's me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way I feel. I, I mean, when I see an animal, I mean, it's, it's a very private, private thing for me, particularly me and my son on when we take an animal, how we handle ourselves. I think they deserve that. I love eating deer steaks and we make bacon out of deer and all the good stuff that goes along with it. I love a good, uh, uh, frog picked up a bunch of frog legs about two weeks ago, but you know, they just deserve our respect. In my opinion, uh, they're a food source. I think we should respect them from that. If nothing else, you know, take care of them, do, do it right as best we can. Cause it's a food source.
1: Well, you've completely changed the way that I've thought about that whole process and the way that I approach hunting now. So I just want to thank you for that. So awesome. as we move forward here, Craig, do you want to tell us some great reasons for hunting for anybody that's curious
0: or to reinforce folks that already love hunting? Yeah, one of the guys I wanted to mention later about podcasting is Donnie Vinson. And I, I just get completely inspired by that dude. Uh, he's he's made some great films on hunting and talked about uh, a lot of in-depth thought processes on the, the act and process of hunting. And one of the things that he said in a talk he gave that I listened to, and it was just, it's just enlightening to think of it, is that hunting is part of us, all of us. And it doesn't matter if you're me, Craig Cottle, you spent your entire life hunting, or if you're the president of PETA and everything that you do in your life is about not harming animals, Hunting and foraging for food is part of who you are and it has been from the beginning. It's in your DNA. It's in all of our DNAs. Now, most of us will go about getting our food by going to a grocery store and gathering our meat there or even our fruits and vegetables or what have you. But the way we developed that was through a hunting foraging mindset a hunting gathering mindset and eventually hunting and gardening mindset. So it, it's part of us. It's part of each and every single one of us out there. Uh, second reason would be just heck hun- 100% organic meat source. When you're a hunter, mm-hmm. if when I take a harvest or I take a deer, I harvest the deer here in the state of Kentucky, that deer that I've harvested for the most part has probably been feeding on uh, deer tongue or, acorns or the different opportunities that it takes to eat food in its environment, which is a hundred percent organic food source. And then that meat source becomes 100% organic. And because of that, when I put the food down on the table, it's clean if I take care of it properly and process it properly. Um, Number three, a big reason that is just at the forefront of a lot of stuff that I do in my life is, Uh, Conservation, what I usually call when I'm tagging stuff on Instagram and Facebook, hashtag Huntervation or Huntervationist. Uh, Those of us who hunt working closely hand in hand with biologists from different natural resources within our communities and our states. And the federal government, uh, if we work hand in hand with those biologists, those scientists, if you will, then we can expand the health and the number of wildlife to fit what it is that we have here in America in particular so that we don't have an overpopulation in our urban or suburban areas and people aren't getting killed on the interstate by hitting deer and elk and and wild animals and what have you. Conservation helps solve all that and it seems really odd for people that are unfamiliar with how the science of it works. But hunters are an in, integral part of making that work properly. Sometimes you have to take certain species out, certain sexes out, to make that, um, to make that herd healthy, for example, whether it's squirrels or turkey or deer. Uh, the next one, another big reason, is lots of time afield. And those that like spending time outside, you may want another excuse to go outside. For those that don't spend much time out, then pick up the book, The Three-Day Effect, Uh, and, and just hit me up on Nature Reliance School. We talk about this all the time on our social media and, and share different things on our, uh, particularly on our Facebook on different scientific reasonings and findings on how valuable being outside is. It's just good for you. So spend timing out, spending time outside is good. And if you want to be a hunter, but you really can't bring yourself to kill something, then do what hunters do with a camera and go out and capture them and share those pictures with those on social media so that others develop a a desire to hunt as well. Uh, A couple more that come to mind real quick that I've put some notes down here is confidence and satisfaction at dinnertime. You know, you, you go out, you hunt, you put the food on the table. That's satisfying. It's really satisfying for when you're teaching young people. And like my son, when he brought, when we had our, I'll never forget our first meal where he had killed a deer and we were eating the deer that he had killed. And you could tell he was all puffed up there and excited that he had i mean he had not only gone to the grocery store and maybe even earned some money and bought food at the grocery store he had went out and worked hard to put food on the table and that's good and then mm-hmm. that brings me to rich, very very rich family experiences, so getting out time with your your parents, your brothers, sisters, cousins even if they're not related to you, the brotherhood and sisterhood that you develop with those that you hunt with, there's just no comparing it. I mean, it's just, there's a reason why the deer hunting camp or the elk hunting camp is, is one of those places that just has a lot of value. I was just thinking about how
1: hunting is, it really instills virtues and it's an opportunity to build our character. And I'm just going to throw out a couple of bullet point items, and maybe we can talk through some of these areas and, and what, it can do for us personally to make us better people. First thing I had was patience. When you think of patience in hunting, what do you think
0: of? Sitting in a deer stand, without a doubt. Uh, I know that we, uh, I mentioned several times deer hunting already, but there is so much time that you sit in a deer stand and wait Mm -hmm. for something to come by. Now I've done both hunting where I stalk and sit in a deer stand, or some people sit in blinds, duck hunting is another one that comes to mind sitting in a blind and waiting, but you've got to develop an ability to be okay with just sitting there. And I think it's more of a personal thing, but like when I go deer hunting, for example, and this is very different from most people I know, I go in before daylight and I do not come out until after dark. And I will sit in that same tree stand all day long. Sometimes I'll get down for lunch and take a break so, developing a patience while I'm there is incredible. And personally, me, I love to look at critters and wildlife and trees and leaves and grass and bugs and birds and all the things that go along with it. So I find it rather exciting, <laughs> but but uh, your typical person will develop the ability to to develop patience while they're sitting there waiting for an animal to come by.
1: Now let me just dig into that a little bit, just as far as the topic of hunting. You will sit in the same deer stand whether anything comes your way or not all day.
0: Yes, I do. And so does my son. And so okay. does my dad. That's just the way that we've always done things. And I, even the crew that we hunt with, they don't do it that way. They'll get out and go back, and eat lunch and hang out at the camper and, and stuff of that nature. But, but we stay in the stand all day long. And, and then when and they come I, back,
1: they get, they'll, they get to move the deer
0: right towards you, right? Are you kidding me? I cannot tell... <laughs> You all, how many times I have killed deer when people come back, because we hunt on a private farm, but it's a big farm. It's several hundred acres. But when, when they come back in the woods to get in their stands, they get stuff moving and it Mm -hmm. brings the deer right to us oftentimes. And so, yeah, well, that's, that's definitely a benefit that comes through it. And then it comes from other hunters moving around and and farms next to this one and all sorts of things. Good stuff. Respect. Oh, I think I, I dug into the respect aspect of it earlier uh, i think i've covered that pretty well but there's also learning to respect your fellow hunters as well and respect the law that's another big one that i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of is that when we step outside the law when it comes to hunting then we're not helping the conservation mindset biologists are really smart people and they put a lot of effort into data analysis and they do that for the benefit of hunters and Mm so i'm not a big fan of uh poachers at all, and I'll call them out. I, I use my social media. Every time I see somebody gets busted for killing an animal out of season, I will gladly put that up and make fun of them and uh, bring attention. Well, I shouldn't say make fun of them, but we'll bring attention to the fact that they're going to jail or paying a hefty fine. I don't think those people should be able to do what they do. Something big that
1: I've seen in the last couple of years, Craig, and this even goes with hiking and camping and adventuring too, is respecting public lands and respecting property owners. One thing that we've noticed, even though we get the permission of all the landowners that we that we happen under their property prior to that, there has been uh, just increasing numbers of people that aren't doing that. It started to affect us because more landowners are are less willing to allow people on their property if folks aren't respecting their, their wishes and asking for permission.
0: Yeah, and I think hunters and adventurers, backpackers. I was in a discussion in a Facebook group this week about this very, there's a beautiful waterfall here in Kentucky. It's on private Mm -hmm. land and people have been going to it for years and now we can't. And the reason we can't is because people went into that area and dropped trash and spray painted rocks and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that we, as a community of people, whether we're hunters or backpackers or whatever, we need to call those people out. Mm -hmm. And one and I do this regularly as well with, uh, what a, what are commonly referred to as bushcrafters and, and this word survivalist, which, you know, is a pretty broad word. But we, we had issues on federal land here in Kentucky where these, what I call bushcraft idiots were going into the woods and building some sort of wiki up or half a shelter with leaving garbage bags on them and just leaving the shelter there. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that is just simply unacceptable behavior. If you have your own land and you want to do that, that's one thing. But just trashing up and people people don't want to see that when they're hiking by. They don't want to see your half face shelter. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always taken the perspective of I want to go into an area, do my thing in an area, and then leave and nobody be able to see what I've done. Exactly. Um, But that, you know, I'm a tracker. I'm a scout tracker. I'm the kind of guy that wants to be a ghost in the woods. I don't want anybody to be able to see me or find me if I don't want to be seen or found. So... You know, it's a little bit different perspective, that's for sure.
1: Now, you all down there that don't have this opportunity, but up here we can go up into New York State and there's quite a good run of salmon up there. And so mm. I started doing that the last year or so. Oh, nice. And nice. the there's a big issue that's happening up there. And it's the exact same thing. There are There are public waterways where some of which are fantastic for salmon. But you ha- to get to them, sometimes you have to cross over private lands. And people more and more up there are not allowing people to do hmm. that because you've got fishermen wow. that are just coming in and leaving their trash, leaving coolers, leaving beer cans, leaving garbage everywhere. So I, I echo that. Craig, I have no patience for that. We have got to-, to take our own supplies to take trash out of there. Otherwise, I've found that trash breeds more trash. Okay, self-control.
0: Yeah, self-control is... It goes right along with everything you said and what I said earlier too about there, there are, hey, here's a perfect example for you, for me hunting. And I know I talk about deer hunting just cause it's so obvious, but, but, uh, if I see a doe with two deer from la- two fawns from last year, then I'll probably take one of those fawns. And when I say fawns, not a little bitty baby fawn, but you know, a yearling Because number one, the meat is good because it's going to be more timber. Number two, statistics tell me that one of those deer is going to die anyway because she can't take care of both of them. And so I look at it from the, okay, do I always take the big buck? No. I I mean, I look at it from a very conservation-minded perspective in that if it looks like an old buck that's on his way down, then I might take him. If he's a, a, a really mature buck and looks like he's got a lot of life in him and he's going to breed does and and he's really strong, then I'll, I might let him walk. I mean, I, some people listen to me and go, you don't do that. Well, yeah, I do. I've, I've done it numerous, numerous times where I've had the buck literally of a lifetime in front of me. But as far as I knew, because I'm a tracker and I go into areas and know them really, really well before I hunt them, he might be the best source for uh, breeding stock for the animals, I'll let him walk. And so that takes a fair amount of self control for mm-hmm. certain to be able to do that. And, but that again, that's a, you know, it's a huntervationist mindset, not just a killer mindset like I used to be when I was younger. How far do you think your average shot is? In general or me personally? Just you personally. I haven't shot at a deer over 30 yards from my tree stand in probably 15 years. It's very different from most. And uh, I do that because number one, I'm a good hunter. Uh, I'm a good tracker and I know where deer are. I go out and find them. I go out and hunt them. It seems to be that there's a lot of pride that is taken in people that can take a good shot that are good shooters. Say I see a deer 200 yards away and I can shoot it that's a good shooter. That's not a good hunter. That's a person that can't get close to animals. Now out West in the Rockies, that's a different animal altogether out there where, you know, it it might be nearly impossible to get close to animals out there for most and you might have to take a longer shot. But for like me here in Kentucky, no, no, I'm going to be up in their house when I take them because I'm going to shoot them and they're going to die and they're not going to They're not going to suffer for long either, that's for sure. I don't want to take any shots that are just questionable. So I get up in their house.
1: That was perfect, Craig. That was exactly what I was getting at. Sometimes it takes self-control to, to make the right shot. All right. Discipline, communication, and teamwork, and leadership mentoring others. Pick any of those you want.
0: Let's skip discipline and communication. Let's get on to leadership because I, I think the ability to communicate effectively with others is a vital skill set to survival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the topic of our of our show here. So we need to make sure that everything we discuss goes back to that, but being able to communicate effectively and lead others is important. And, you know, taking a kid out and teaching them, particularly if they are your kid, then that's incredibly valuable time of field. And I've helped a few people that were not hunters that became hunters as an adult. That is a whole different uh, methodology and way to go about getting people involved in that sort of thing and got them involved in hunting too. So you have to leadership and mentor and guide and direct And know when it's time to, you know, kick them out of the nest too. let them do their own thing.
1: One thing that I was thinking here,
0: if you are an
1: experienced hunter, this is a great opportunity to be a mentor. And if you're new to hunting, whether you're young or old, find a mentor. So if you're experienced, be a mentor. If you're new to it, find a mentor. Yeah, I'm with you. So there's a lot of different game out there. Let's zoom in on
0: this a little bit. I think for those that are new, the first question you should ask is what type of food do you like to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of meat protein do you like to take? I mean, do you like eating chicken over beef, for example, or do you like beef over chicken or vice versa? Then, you know, if you really, really like a good beef steak, then you probably need to get get engaged in elk hunting or deer hunting. And if you really like chicken, you maybe want to get engaged in turkey hunting or quail hunting or something of that nature. So that would be the first thing that I think that we would go after. Cause we don't want to, you know, I don't want to. Mm-hmm get people hunting just for the sake of killing critters. I think we should be uh, figuring out how to, you know, get that organic food source that number one is good for us. And then at the same time uh, helps with the conservation efforts of the area that you're in. The other one would be to understand the, the ecology, the wildlife that are around you so that you don't have to travel excessively far to start hunting because the more you have to travel, then the more difficult it is and that, you know, you want to have as few barriers to entry. So if you can find something in the, the area in which you live, then that's going to be better off for you. And that helps you to understand what kind of animals are around you that you might not even know are around you. And there's a lot of uh, people that have never seen a deer because they just don't have good observation and awareness skills. And so you can learn how to develop skills to be able to see the deer that are in your area. I took a guy out last week. He wanted a private tracking class uh, he, he got, was fortunate and drew an elk tag here in Kentucky. Um, you, you can't just buy tags here. You get drawn for them and he's never hunted elk before in his life. He doesn't know how to track worth a dime. And so I took him out and spent about four hours with him, teaching him how to track elk that I've never tracked out, but I know how nice. elk work. And so I've helped him be able to, to, to harvest to elk that's going to be able to feed his family for a long time. And he, that's why he wanted to go because he wanted to, to get the meat. Uh, also you can, uh, just again, understand mammals act a particular way and birds act a particular way. And so if you want to go after a four-legged critter, if you want to go after a flying critter, then, then there are two different types of hunting altogether, really. And by doing that, then you can start isolating the reasons for hunting and what kind of things that you like personally. And that way, if you're getting into something that you like, then you're more likely to do it again and enjoy yourself moving forward.
1: I think a a great way to get into hunting would be, to look at small game hunting for beginners. The firearms that you would use, a 22 or a 410
0: shotgun, even some air rifles are legal in some states. Yeah, I am in total agreement with the idea of getting that 22 or that 410. Both of them are good choices, both of them are dangerous if used improperly so you can learn good gun handling skills and uh, good safety skills with those weapons and they're not so uh, aggressive that when you shoot them it causes pain. The thing that I see, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they really want their kids to get engaged in hunting, so they go and put them on a bench, put them on, put a two seventy down on the bench, and then they shoot it, and it kicks the snot out of the kid, and everybody laughs, and and the kid's not laughing, you know, because it hurt, and that right there is an opportunity miss. You just turned a kid off of guns and hunting and the things that go along with it, and so you know I'm a big fan of that twenty two. And that 410 because neither one of them kick really bad. And uh fantastic way to get people started. I couldn't. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very good point.
1: Let me throw, let me piggyback off of that then, Craig. Small game hunting generally requires you moving around, kicking game out. If you're bird hunting, that's that's a whole nother challenge. For a younger person, especially in this day and age, I remember even back in the day. I mean, we're talking about the seventies and early eighties. It was hard, Craig, for me to sit even back then all day in a deer stand when it was cold. And I would sit there all day long, man. I There was a certain point where I didn't even care anymore. I was just trying to stay warm. Right. So small game hunting is a great thing because you're moving around, can be engaged in some tracking
0: and it's a lot of fun. All right. I'm going to piggyback on that too then. All right, man. All right. Two, two things that come to mind as you're saying that, because this has been a good conversation when I like how we're feeding off of each other here. Uh, for those that listen to us regularly, none of this is in the notes. We're just kind of going two things that come to mind. The first is that without a doubt, I agree with you about small game hunting. A lot of the things that I teach in a scout tracking class about camouflaging, I learned while squirrel hunting when I was a kid. Uh, a lot of the simple things of walking in the shadows, not getting in the sunlight, having some sort of clothing that matches the background, breaks up your outline. Don't be, uh, don't be outlined on the top of a hill. All these little things that are just basic camouflaging. I learned squirrel hunting, and loved it. Uh, the second would be just because you brought it up, I want to bring it up again. Is that when you get a, when you're starting to get kids in the modern day engaged? This is the one thing that I'm going to say that a lot of people go, "You crazy, Craig Cottle. I can't believe you said that because I really surprise people when I say this is if you've got a kid that really likes playing on the phone or playing with a handheld game, then the first few times they go into a deer stand or a deer blind, take it with them. By golly, take, let them play on that phone. Let them sit out there with you all day long and play on that phone. Eventually, slowly, but surely take that away from them. But if you take a kid that's used to playing electronics or, Or, you know, like my son who really liked to read and play electronics and then take that kid and put them in a deer stand and expect them to stay out there all day long and enjoy it. You are going to be, you're going to ruin their day and they're not going to like it. So when I first Mm -hmm. started taking my son, I got a, I actually got he had a lot of energy and couldn't sit still at all. So I, I, I hunted in a tree stand and so I bought him a tree blind so that he could sit in the tree blind and play his little, I can't even remember what it was, but like Nintendo DS or whatever, all those things are handheld game. He sit in there and play. When I would see a deer coming, I'd say, all right, I'd call him. I had a little handheld radio. I'd call him on the radio and say, all right, look, watch how this goes down. And I'd show him how to do it. He's actually had a broken arm the first time he went, couldn't shoot anyway. And that way you introduced hunting and you bridge the gap. I love this term bridge the gap. Hmm. You're bridging the gap between what they already know to something that's new and it's not totally new. And then slowly but surely you get to where, you know, the game's not there anymore. And I mean, even today, my son, he is a deer slayer, but he still takes books to the woods with him and reads and just waits till the deer come by. And then he, he, he reads and then busts the deer, which I kind of do too, but still, but yeah, bridge the gap. That's good, Craig, and I'm going to do the last piggyback on this, I think, unless you jump
1: in on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll
0: stop. Because go you talked ahead. about
1: hunting squirrel, and if you're not a hunter and you live in an urban area, you may look up at the squirrels that come down and you know they'll get 10, 15 feet away, sometimes closer to you, and you think to yourself, "Hmm, I don't see much of a challenge in that. I will tell you what, come on out here or go down to Kentucky and go squirrel hunting with with Craig or I. Squirrels are one of the most challenging little critters to hunt, and they are a lot of fun. When you said that, I immediately I immediately (laughs) thought that because you're talking about camouflage and the shadows. And if you're not familiar with squirrel hunting, (laughs) that you're going to be like, "What? Hunting squirrels like that? They come right up to me. They are not like that in the wild. As soon as you, especially if if you shoot one shot, you just you just alerted every squirrel for a mile that you are around and. I'll tell you, getting close to a squirrel after that, hmm, that's tough.
0: Yeah, very good point.
1: All right, man, let's talk about some gear that you need to hunt. Why don't you plug your book a little bit? Didn't you write a whole
0: book on gear? <laughs> I did, Ultimate Wilderness Gear. Uh, Ultimate Wilderness Gear is my second book, and it has a section, and I I'll, I'll pulled it up right here so I could tell everybody. If you have that book, then you can look on pages 182 to 185. I have a whole section dedicated to hunting gear in that book. So yeah, pick that book up, um, uh, link for the, des- in the description below for that book. But, uh, some of the things I'll go ahead and go into here on the podcast, cause we want to take care of you folks too, is you're going to have to choose a weapon. And when you choose a weapon, there's so many different options for you. Bows, rifles, shotguns, uh, black powder uh, is, are a different type of weapon. And there's all kinds of different bows like crossbows, compound bows, and um, recurves and primitive bows and all the things that go along with those. So it's one of those things that you really need to do your research on. And the key thing is, no matter what it is that you choose, you'll want to choose a weapon appropriate for the game that you're hunting. And there's so many of them, I couldn't I couldn't even begin to tell you which one is which for every one. Um, Another plug for the book on uh, page 185 in the book. I have a table listed for about 15 different game species and appropriate weapon and appropriate size of cartridge to utilize it for and uh, stuff that goes along with that. But with that said, uh, one of the best ways is to contact a friend or a family member that gets into hunting and say, hey, man, what kind do I need? Go to a store, a hunting store and talk to them. And they'll do their best. I mean, they want you to buy stuff from them, obviously, right? But they're going to do their best to put you in the right weapon so that you'll come back and buy another one sometime. So typically those people are good people. But you can always contact a family or friend member and say, okay, I want to go score hunting. What kind of gun do I need for that? sort of hunting. And that way you can help them get involved and get engaged.
1: I'm going to ask you if we can do this. And this goes right along with people jumping in and sponsoring the podcast, helping us out. Can we scan that page from your book and put that over in our, all of our subscription levels over on Patreon?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll be happy to. I've got a, I've got a PDF of my book. I'll just pull it out of there and I'll send it and we can put it up there. It makes it a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. Just don't tell my publisher. I'm not supposed to do that.
1: We'll do that as a bonus over on Patreon.
0: Yeah, that's good. How about clothes? Oh man, don't fall victim to too much of the marketing, you all. This is, when you get into hunting, there's so Mm -hmm. much marketing that goes into it and just robs people of money. I mean, Bear, um, Fred Bear said years and years ago, Fred Bear's a real famous hunter from Bear Bows. uh, The best camouflage in the world is to sit down and shut up. And he was right. And... (laughs) He was, he was dead on because everybody's grandfather, great grandfather used to hunt was wearing a a red plaid uh, flannel jacket and blue jeans and boots. And they weren't wearing camouflage that had scent blocker in it. And they all came out of the woods with a big buck and a, and a fistful of squirrels. So it's one of those things that, that uh, you can get overwhelmed. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with camouflage. I wear camouflage. Uh, Well, to a degree I do. I don't wear camouflage nearly as much as I used to. I used to be head to toe just like everybody else and scent blocker and all that stuff. And then I started paying attention to a situational awareness and listening to the birds and tracks and mm-hmm. placing myself in the right position to hunt instead of wrong positions to hunt. And I, I, just, quite frankly, I just don't need camouflage anymore. So, uh, usually I'll wear, um, just some OD shirt or something that blends in. I wear stuff like, like last year in hunting season, I wore a flannel A flannel coat, just like old granddad used to wear kind of thing and and didn't wear any camouflage at all and still got three deer and plenty of squirrels and everything, turkeys and everything else. But, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that clothes can get, um, you can get neck deep into clothes. I'm a big fan of spending the extra money if you've got it on boots, moving in and out of an area where you've got comfortable feet is important. And so if you've got extra money in your budget and you want to buy something important and buy good boots, the ones that take care of your feet and protect them and keep them warm. Um, as far as stands and blinds, those are all options. You know, there's a turkey hunting's growing huge here in Kentucky and all over the country. Actually, a lot of people like to hunt out of blinds. I prefer to not hunt out of blinds uh, when I'm hunt, turkey hunting, but stands I do utilize cause it makes it a little bit more simple, but uh, those are, pretty big cost but you do not have to have those things they're just things that make it nicer so it's one of those things don't feel like you got to get a gun and camouflage and stands and blinds right off the bat there's a lot of things you can do with a good gun and knowing how to place yourself in the shadows and you don't need all the other stuff
1: let me throw one thing in here just to emphasize a yeah. point that you made. Quiet normalizes the woods. You sit in the woods. Oh, man. Once you move in there and you sit for 15 minutes, half hour, everything gets back to normal. And you are really just part of the woods. So I totally agree with you that you can spend a lot of money. There's some stuff out there, Craig. I can't
0: believe what some of my friends are spending on their hunting clothes, like a thousand bucks for an outfit. Sportsman's Guide is one of our sponsors here. And I, I want to make sure that we support them where we can. If you're going to get some camouflage, go to a sportsman's guide and get it. Just don't feel like you've got to get the $5,000 suit and coat and jacket, you know, pick a, pick a pair of pants up, pick, pick up a light jacket, get some boots or something, and then get on into the woods. And that would be good. Let, hey, let me throw you some science in there about what you just said. All right. You want me to throw some science? Yeah, you? science Let's do this. it. Professor Craig. So I was teaching a class in Wisconsin one year and there was a, um, PhD in, in wildlife biology in class. And uh, he, he told me about this study. It fascinates me, but they had a barred owl that they were utilizing because a board, a barred owl is just death. It's it's just like a little uh, fighter plane going through the woods. Cause they'll just, there's not anything small that it can't go after songbirds, squirrels, chipmunks and what have you. Anyway, they took this barred owl and they had it in a, like a box that it was in plexiglass, And what they did was that they hung it on this tree and then they remotely pulled the cover off the box so that the animals in the vicinity could see the barred owl, but it couldn't get released. Hmm. And then what they did was that they had sound equipment throughout the forest and listened to the alarm sounds of birds and other animals, squirrels and chipmunks in particular, when they saw this barred owl and how fast that moved through the woods. And they measured it at 85 miles per hour. Wow. So basically what you're saying, what I'm saying is that, and here's the other interesting thing. The animals that were alarming because of this barred owl alarmed out to a half a mile away from that barred owl, that there was a barred owl that was in the area. So the key from, now why is that important to hunting? Because, go right back to what David said, which is, and and when I teach tracking classes, I talk about the ripple effect. So if you take a stone and throw it into a lake or a creek, you have the ripple effect. When you walk into the woods, you have a ripple effect. So sit down, calm yourself down, just like David suggested, and then let those ripples just slowly ebb away from you. And then the, the forest will start to accept you and take you back in and you'll be part of it. Nice. Okay, Craig, transportation. The only reason I brought this up and want to bring this out is that When you're going to and from an area, it might be good to have a vehicle that, you know, doesn't get stuck. I have personal experience from yesterday. (laughs) That's why I brought this up. (laughs) My daughter and I went hiking and I buried my wife's Ford Explorer in the middle of the woods. So, uh, it was kind of heavy on my mind when I put these notes together. For fishermen and even for hunters, you might be able to, like one of the areas here and a lot of areas in the country, Uh, natural areas will surround a lake or something. And sometimes the best way to get into remote places is to get in a canoe or a kayak or a boat and go cut across the lake that's very difficult for people to hike into. And then you might be isolated and seeing wildlife that other people don't get to see. So those are considerations too. A truck, I, I suggest a truck just because it's easier to transport large game than trying to stuff a deer into the trunk of a car or something like that. And as an aside to all this, I'm a big fan of hiding the animal while you're traveling down the highway for two reasons. One, you don't want to get a bunch of debris from the highway onto your animal, so I usually cover them up. Secondly, you know, there's a lot of people that just abhor the looking at dead animals, and you're definitely not helping the cause by hanging your deer out the back end so everybody can see your big buck just because you, you know, have big ego or something like that. then you know, cover them up so that uh, you're taking care of the meat properly and at the same time you're not. And I'm not saying that we should bow down to anti-hunters. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I want to make our cause an, an intellectual cause rather than one that's just built on emotion.
1: Let me throw something in here, Craig. There are many states that allow open carry and open versus concealed carry means that for instance, I do hunt sometimes with a rather large Ruger 44 mag Redhawk and I could go into Walmart and I have seen guys do this, (laughs) go into Walmart with their big leather sheath with their their big hunting pistol hanging off of their belt in hunting season. But I will tell you, I have watched people and their reactions. And I live in a very rural area where hunting is. We have one of the biggest hunting counties in Pennsylvania. And I have watched people's faces and reactions. Open carry is legal in many places. I just think we should be sensitive because we want to recruit people to the cause. We want to increase hunters because that means that the game and wildlife and conservation efforts continue and are well funded because of our licenses and all that sort of stuff. So just be aware of what Craig's saying here. So any recommendations as far as transporting
0: firearms that you have? Let's do this. Let's just review the four rules of gun safety because that's good. It's good to review that and then you can just apply that to what we're discussing now. Number 1, treat all guns as if they're loaded. You don't want to assume that a gun that is in a vehicle, you don't want to leave it loaded. So putting a gun loaded into a vehicle, you can't shoot from there anyway, so why would you do it? Go ahead and unload it. Uh, Number two, never point a gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. So when you're transporting a weapon, it, it needs to be in a case in my perspective and as best you can in a vehicle so that it's not pointing at anyone that's in your vehicle. And number three would be keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to take the shot. And it's not one of those things you walk around with your finger in the trigger guard as if that's going to save you time. The way you save time is you get slow equals smooth and smooth equals fast as you practice. And so getting out with your weapon at a gun range and practicing with it, with your finger off the trigger first, when you see the game, you get up on target, you get ready to pull the trigger because you are on your target and then you pull the trigger. And that way everybody again, stays safe. And number four would be, be sure of your target and, and this is a big one, what lies beyond it. So make sure that the things that might possibly be behind the target, you know what those are. Have a backstop for large caliber weapons or rifled cartridges like a twenty two or two seventy or something like that. So that if, if something either you miss or you shoot the animal and it goes through the animal and continues to travel, it then goes into the earth rather than, Than something else. So, as far as moving around equipment, I'm the same way. Going in and out of cars, uh, going through a gate, climbing over a fence, going in and out of a stand, all those weapons need to be unloaded until you're ready to fire. Once you get situated in the stand, yeah. That's when you load up. So let's buzz through how to get started real quick, and then we'll talk about some action
1: steps. So let me just start this one off with how to get started. I'm going to recommend to people take a hunter safety class. I don't know if you all have them in Kentucky, but I do believe that they're still free here in the state of Pennsylvania. And they are for everyone, not just kids. I think it's a good idea, even if you're a pretty experienced hunter, to take a refresher course every five years or so, because rules change, things change, and it's always good to refresh ourselves on the
0: basics. Could not agree more with what you just said. Uh, Are they required up there for everyone or just recommended? I think for uh, people under a certain
1: age, they are required. It used to be, Craig, that Mm -hmm. you had to have a license to get your next year's license. And your original license was based on you taking a hunter safety class. I have to admit, I do not know if that's still the case.
0: This is going to be an incredibly, incredibly unpopular opinion with a lot of people, but I think hunter safety programs should be required to get a hunting license at this point. It used to be that all people, because we lived and died by the gun, as far as hunting is concerned, uh, taught every, all the people in their home, their kids, how to take care of a gun mm-hmm. safely. And that's not happening now. uh, More often than not, people kind of flippantly go about hunting and loaded weapons and vehicles and on ATVs and stuff of that nature. And it's just, they're just dangerous. So I think it should be required. And I think it would build business. And I think it should, you know, I think it should be part of built into the fee, or maybe you get a discount on your license if you take a course or, you know, there, there there can be incentives, I get it. But I'm a fan of uh, making sure that everybody out there is safe. There, there's hunting accidents that happen all the time, whether people are getting lost. That's why part of the reason I wrote the book, uh, Essential Wilderness Navigation. I have a whole chapter in that book about hunting and how to use navigation to be more successful and safe. Uh, the, or you actually, uh, somebody uses a weapon and a human gets shot accidentally. The, the, there's just no excuse for that. And so we should uh, we should be about getting those things done so people stay safe, in my opinion.
1: Good. Next thing I'm going to suggest is find a friend or family member that can mentor you if you're just getting into this. We talked about that earlier. If you're, mm-hmm. you're experienced, be a mentor. If you're not experienced, find a mentor.
0: Yeah, I agree. You you can't you cannot go wrong in finding a buddy that wants to take you a field. And most hunters want to do that. Just keep in mind that some hunters are pretty secretive on the areas that they're allowed to hunt. And sometimes the people or the places that people get to hunt came after a lifetime of knowing someone, and so you just don't flippantly let anybody just come in to a hunting camp or go hunting in an area. So just because you love the idea of hunting and you've got a friend that hunts, doesn't mean that you'll get access to wherever they hunt. It's a real, it's kind of a Mm -hmm. weird thing. I don't know if it's like that all over. I just know here in the Hills of Kentucky, you know, if you've got a deer hunting camp, it's not easy to get into that camp and be one of the guys. I mean, it's, it's pretty selective group kind of thing. But, uh, with that said in general, they'll love and try to encourage and help you to get to hunt. And, uh, most hunters recognize that hunting numbers are dwindling so they want to help others get that way. And that that brings up another topic is those that you hunt with, you need to understand if they have the type of ethics that you want to be involved with. Oh, Some yeah. hunters unfortunately like to go to a hunting camp and get drunk and, and and do things they wouldn't normally do at a at their home. And others like to uh, just do things that are not the type of ethics that people want to engage in? if that's, if you want to hang out with the boys and drink a beer or something like that, I have no problem with you doing that, obviously. Right. But drunkenness and firearms do Mm -hmm. not mix and drunkenness and, um, hunting wild animals don't mix. That's how humans get killed. And so you want to understand the ethics of how you harvest the animal, uh, are, are the people that are there, have they bought a deer tag and the things that make you legal to be able to hunt? Some people don't, some people are really against that. They think it's a, they're, they're, um, they think it's a government intervention. Everybody should have the right to hunt without paying, and to a degree, I do understand the liberty side of that. I really do, you all. I really do get that. However, all of those monies go back into helping wildlife, and so um, I'm all about it. Yeah. A uh, couple things that I think that are also outside the scope of these is as far we talked about shooting. Uh, safety. So the four basic rules of gun safety. One adage it just keeps coming up with a lot of things as we've been discussing them with survival is you don't shoot until you get it right. You do it. You shoot until you can't get it wrong. I've seen guys set up paper targets. I'm part of a, a a club here, a gun hunters or a hunters club here in Clark County, and I've seen guys getting ready for deer season and they go out and they set a target up and they shoot it once and and it hits on the target close enough to what they want then they're like, yeah, I'm done. They, I've got it. They, that's them shooting until they got it right. Well, you don't do that. You keep shooting until you can't get it wrong. And I think that's a, a more and better uh, mindset than anything else.
1: Okay, Craig, so let's get into some social media options, maybe some podcasts that folks can uh, check out if they're interested in just connecting more with folks that are interested in hunting.
0: Okay. Yeah, I know because we've got a lot of podcast listeners here. There's three guys that I would recommend to listen to the meat eaters podcast by Steve Rinella, uh Donnie Vincent. Anytime you can find anything by Donnie Vincent, it's good. And uh, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan has a wide range of topics that he goes over on his podcast, but uh, he's also an avid hunter and he has Steve on. He has Donnie Vincent on pretty regularly as well as other hunters. But those three guys in particular are three guys that I know that have a professional perspective and try to present the information um, much the same way that we presented it here in a very, you know, being a professional hunter, being a good woodsman and stuff of that nature and uh, getting your good organic food source as best you can.
1: That's great, Craig. And I have never uh, checked out Steve Renelli and Donnie Vincent. I have uh, Joe Rogan. So I'm going to check them out. Thanks. How about we give some action steps for those that are new to hunting, just as a recap. And then why don't you just go right into uh, some action steps for those who have experience.
0: Okay, good. Uh, Number one, contact your fishing game of your state and check out their website, contact their information office. Oftentimes they'll have beginning hunting classes and you can go in and listen to experienced hunters talk about how to do things. I would definitely for those that are new, check out Hunter Safety Courses because you not only go into some of the aspects of hunting, but also the safety things, which includes survival and land navigation and how to carry your firearms and things that go along with it. And then number three, I would spend some time afield with somebody who has experience. Show you the ropes, if you will, when they get out there. That's the three steps I would suggest for somebody that's brand new, never been before. For those who have experience, which includes a lot of people Uh, like this somebody hey i grew up hunting but i haven't done it so long i really don't know where to start again Uh, the first thing i would do is check in with fish and game and they will get you the necessary uh legal means to get you all licensed up and and tagged up whatever you might need um, because that's you you want to check the game laws uh, seasons as well as regions and zones of the area that you live in so that you know uh, which is the best place for you to go number two i think would be to go about trying to find a private landowner that of an area that you would like to hunt and offer to do some some chores for them. Hey, I'd really like to hunt on your land, but I don't want to do that until I've proven uh, what kind of person I am. Uh, Help me help you. I'd like to help you put up some fence. I'd like to help you chop some firewood. I'd like to help you uh, pick up your hay bales this season. So let me know how I can do that, and I want to prove myself as a person, as somebody that that appreciate your farm and people don't uh, do that enough that's anymore. Great. I like and that. that way you can, you can, yeah. And, and that's the way I get into properties to hunt and, and do the things that I do too. And number three would be, would be to get back up on that horse, and get on out there and go hunting. You already know a little bit about it. Just make sure you're legal. You got the right place to do it and get out there and try it again and uh, learn from your mistakes. Just don't make any uh, big mistakes like shooting in a properly and just, And stuff of that nature. When I say mistakes, hey, you might miss one um, because you weren't in the right stand. That'll help you the next time to move that stand and get in the right place. That way you can get a better shot the next time. So yeah, that would be for those that are out there.
1: And I'll throw one more in here, Craig. If you are experienced and you're on that higher tier of experience, especially pass it along, leave a legacy, be a mentor so, Craig, I really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for your wisdom
0: on all this. This this was great. This was great. I learned a lot. It was very enjoyable. You know, every time that me and you end up having a guest that gets missed, we end up making a really good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I love our guests. I really do. But when we kind of fly by the seat of our pants, we pull pretty much pull an A-plus effort out. <laughs> well,
1: I, I literally, guys, I came to Craig. It was about two hours before we had to do the podcast. And I said, hey, our guest for today is unable to be with us. You think you can pull something together? And Craig, you so nicely and willingly said, sure, I can do that. So thank you so much. You want to take us out of here, Craig?
0: Yeah, guys and gals, Listen. Listen to me here. Subscribe to the podcast right now. It's free. It's free. You can do that and you don't miss out on anything. Not this episode, not any other episode. Many thanks to each of you listening who have already done that. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please share it with your friends. Go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And one more time, I want to say this. Thank you for everybody that has up to this point financially supported us we couldn't do it without you we really appreciate it I want to throw out these opportunities for you go over to Amazon and buy some tiny guides everyone wins it's great information you've heard us talking about it you've heard us sharing information with you buy 1 buy 5 buy 10 buy 20 I don't care how many you buy every time you buy that helps David and I out financially which gives us an opportunity to put out great podcasts like this so go over to also survivalshow.com We've made it very easy to support the podcast with links to, obviously, again, the Tiny Guide. You can donate to us through PayPal. You can support the show on a monthly basis through Patreon. And lastly, please support our sponsors. Sportsman's Guide has been fantastic. All this gear stuff we've been talking about here, they've got it and then some. So go to the Sportsman's Guide. They've are they they've been fantastic. They've been faithfully helping us out here on the podcast for several months now, and we're very thankful that they do that. Click the link in the descriptions below for the things that we've talked about including and most importantly right now the sportsman's guide or just go to survivalshow.com right now I think that's it thanks for listening we'll see you next time well actually we won't see you but you will hear us next time on the survival show podcast keep it simple be positive and stay sharp